0: Welcome back, Pop Culture Theologians. We are here. It is the last episode of the season, and we are so glad you joined us. I'm so glad you joined us because I took a week off to fight fascism. So, welcome to the Pop Culture Theologians podcast. I'm John Marcy, my compatriot, partner in arms. Was it you uh, led you? along last episode you know we are here two academics praising at the altar of pop culture so we're so glad you were able to come along with this ride for uh, with us and you can find us at the engaged gaze uh where we are hosted and there's our sister podcast bible pitches up there and you can also find us on twitter you can find the show at pop culture theologians you can find me um at j erickson 85 or as marcy likes to remind me at my basic bitch twitter handle marcy where can we find you
1: uh you can find me at i am the men who can uh like we've said every week it's a wonder woman uh reference so definitely hit us up on twitter uh we are pretty active actually <laughs> on twitter.
0: we have a lot of fun on twitter
1: yeah i, lo- I love twitter I think Twitter is where you go to snark, Instagram's where you go to love, and Facebook's where you go to hate your family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so, Marcy, what the fuck happened this week?
1: <sighs> so much happened this week. <laughs> I feel like I've lost my steam. I, I don't even have enough cursing to go with this week. Um, but the midterms were here. So thank you to everyone who went out to vote. Uh, everyone who didn't vote, fuck you. Like seriously, fuck you. But to those who voted, uh, thank you for being a part of the resistance. So I guess we can start with Florida since I'm I'm in Florida. Um, we have no idea who wants shit here. <laughs> so Always
0: with Florida.
1: I know you called it. Uh, I mean, never underestimate the South. But. Um, but yeah, no, our, our major races, so governor and senator, are being recounted, and they're within a half percentage. So seriously, if you didn't vote, fuck you, because it mattered. And overwhelmingly, the people who don't vote are actually on the left. So like, really annoying. Um, but John is still holding out hope for Florida. I have trepidation since I lived through Bush. <laughs> taking Florida and how much Florida loves to recount ballots, but we'll see. I will say in my district, uh, we ended up electing Debbie, Debbie powell who, uh, dethroned Carlos Curbelo, who is a nationwide asshole. And Marcy, Uh,
0: how'd you feel about Carlos?
1: So (laughs) I spent the last two years calling his office every morning on my drive to work to just be like you. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a routine for me I know everyone at the front office like hey everyone <laughs> I have gone to protest at his office I have sat in dressed as a handmaid I've sat in with the sign about healthcare. so it's weird it's like I'm gonna get to reclaim my fucking time because I don't need to call his office anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> but while there's a lot to, you know, still come at, you know, I really think Kirsten Cinema is going to win. You know, we completely dethroned Dean Heller in Nevada. It's the first time that state ever has um, two female senators. Um, California is still counting. We could be literally left with no Republicans in Orange County. Is what I it's looking saw at. That. Um, we
1: born. Hello. We, orange
0: county (laughs) hello to the new orange county a nation reborn i mean there is a lot to celebrate all the pundits who said that early in the evening this doesn't look like a blue wave i'm literally sticking my middle finger at you because clearly we're like up to like almost getting the possibility of 38 plus more seats now so
1: um here's the thing like georgia we're still waiting right and i think georgia's going to be the story of whichever way it goes it's always going to be an election with the asterisk because of the voter suppression. Texas was relatively close as well. And so it was easy to feel like Florida, Georgia, Texas, the shit. But no, historically speaking, if you look down the line at every House race, at judges, at everything, it was a fucking tsunami. And so a blue tsunami for those who need clarification.
0: Oh, Marcy, can I just take, can we take one moment together? Yeah. Scott Walker lost.
1: I was so excited for you.
0: <laughs> I started crying in the middle of a dance floor.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no, no. It's like just beautiful. And look, I'm not, I'm gonna, I want to feel what you feel right now with Bill Nelson beating Governor Voldemort. So I'm, I'm holding out hope to do the dance you're doing.
0: We so, got this. We got yeah. this.
1: So midterms. What a week. Um, waiting to see what happens next. Um, next, we had. John, why don't you break this one down for us uh, about the free press under attack?
0: So we have an incident where the White House press secretary is sharing a doctored video showing CNN reporter um, Acosta um, like taking or like almost pushing against a female White House intern, which is completely not true. The, The White House intern Um, was trying to grab the mic away from him because Acosta did what all reporters in the White House press corps should be doing and literally not stopping or giving up the mic until President Trump answers their question. And so we have an attack on the free press going on here with the White House, removing Acosta's press credentials, sharing a doctored video, and literally just like another day in the United States under the Trump presidency, or I'm sorry, the fascist Trump presidency, the free press is under attack.
1: Yeah, like, this is really, really scary, especially because he's been putting out, like, uh, messages that, like, he's just the first to go, that he'll ban anyone who disrespects him, and it's like, hi, North Korea, like, what the, hell? What the fuck?
0: Like, and it's so great to watch him like flounder right now in the sense that we knew the day after the midterms he had all this planned. He did the press conference, um, to literally distract from the headlines. People were not falling for it. I couldn't believe actually what I was listening to as I was driving into work the next day. Clearly, like the, the, the sad, desperate attempts of a psychopath and then firing Jeff Sessions and everything else. I mean, these next two months before they recess and the new Congress full of, you know, a hundred plus more women coming and all the amazing stuff that we did going to Washington occur. It's going to be pure and utter hell. So I just want to let people know to to buckle in because it's going to be pretty bad for a while.
1: Yeah. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, Yep. And then our third thing that's happening this week uh, is near and dear to my heart. Um, So I wanna just do a big shout out of love to the city of Thousand Oaks and to the San Fernando Valley um, in California. Um, I was born in the San Fernando Valley. I have worked and lived in Thousand Oaks. I have um, driven around there everywhere. So they had a hell of a fucking day this week. They had the borderline shooting Uh, In the morning and within eight hours, most of the area had to be evacuated due to the forest fires, Um,
0: which are still raging
1: and zero percent containment right now. So, you know, I I tried like having grown up in California and lived a large part of my adult life in California. um, I think it's hard for people who don't live out in desert to understand, and yes, California is straight up desert. I think it's hard for them to understand the effects of like what no rain for years and years and years and years can do to the area. Um, so the first thing I want to do is obviously send love to everyone out there with the fires. The second thing I want to do is acknowledge the shooting. Um, I woke up to have to call friends and coworkers um, and family to make sure they were okay because. Um, Like, this is our, like, where we lived and and hung out and worked. um. And I think it's really easy to be like, wow, another shooting. When we recorded the last podcast, just one episode prior to this, you know, we talked about how Tallahassee, which is my college town, had had a shooting where an incel had shot up um, a yoga studio. And the information is coming out that the Thousand Oaks shooter was a raging misogynist, um, had untreated PTSD. And look, it's really easy to go, my God, like, here's another one. But I don't want to do that um, because that's exactly what they want. They want the fatigue to kind of lull us into thinking this is normal. So to end what happened this week, I want to just really clearly state this is not normal. Uh, there are ways to prevent this and they include gun control measures. And if you're not behind that, then you probably shouldn't have a gun. So we've, um,
0: got a, we've got a lot of change that needs to occur. We have
1: a lot of change. And then obviously something John and I have talked about a lot um, during this first season is fragile and toxic masculinity is something that is so putrid in the US that like this is these are symptoms of it. Right? Is there a
0: character on the show that completely resembles that, Marcy? Weird,
1: right? It's weird. It's like, maybe there is, right? Joe?
0: Because I wasn't able to talk about it.
1: Joe. We'll talk about Joe a lot, actually. And you know what? I think that's a good segue to jumping right into The Purge.
0: Let's Purge. This
1: is not a test.
0: This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class 4 and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers
1: and America, a nation reborn. May God be made.
0: So listeners, we are brought into the last episode of the season with Purge Rush Limbaugh again. And it is just I mean, I haven't been able to really express my feelings because I wasn't able to talk last episode. Um because as I said earlier, I was out there get them out. I was out there fighting fascism. Um but as of what I the the ninth episode was very triggering to me because you saw not only toxic masculinity, it was like a case study in toxic masculinity of the things that occur when white men um, and Marcy, kudos to you for how you handled that, you know, when people throw up on Twitter, like, not all men you handled it so brilliantly you're like, if you feel like I'm not talking about you, I'm not talking about you.
1: Yeah, I don't have time.
0: And that's it like i know you're i i'm a white man i know you're not talking about me but i don't need to go up there and twitter and be like oh i'm so sad so i just want to say like you handled it perfectly and kudos 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 um but wanted to really go break down Joe, who, um, as we are realizing, the night is literally almost over. So he's got a lot of time on his hands, and he's got a lot of work still left to do. So he keeps going on on how he feels, um, you know, and he needs to, you know, tie up the girls because he saw what happened with Jane. Rest in peace, Jane. Um, We all knew, I think, that Jane's journey was wasn't going to end with her getting out of this, sadly. Um, As Joe did say, you know, she was, you know, also complicit in this purge, but her takedown of Joe was the takedown of everyone's dreams for when they have a white man that just won't say no, won't won't accept no. Um, So kudos to Jane for, you know, totally ripping him to shreds. But it's almost dawn and we have um, Joe's, us, second to last victim, basically, um, Rick and Jenna. And so he keeps understanding or thinking this type of mentality that Marcy and I have broken down of, when you purge, you get something. We saw it in Allison, you know, where's Allison? Hashtag where's Allison? That, you know, when he purges, when he walks out of there, he'll be free of this type of animosity he feels. We saw that happen and that people say that throughout the whole season. So the purge is a false promise. And so he doesn't understand, and I think that's because he's a psycho, that purging doesn't result in you getting clear of your guilts, your debts, anything like that. The purge is a psychological tool that this fascist government put in your psyche that you need to do in order to fully comprehend the life that they are constructing for you. And that's a life of no jobs. That's a life of blaming everyone else, but the actual culprit. I mean, the list goes on. So Joe is as much of a victim in that type of government stuff, but he's not willing to deconstruct it like a lot of other people are. So then therefore he falls prey and, you know, then just recapitulates it by purging other people. So Joe calls up Rick and Jenna and he's ready to really break down what happened between them. Cause we really didn't know why he chose them.
1: Right. Right. And I think, um, like I had talked about last week, I felt like Rick wasn't being honest and John I
0: don't think Rick was being honest. Um, I think you were right again about Rick not being honest. We always knew like there's a little something shady about Rick. I'm so glad that kind of our worst fears about him regarding like him setting up like Lila or all the stuff, like, remember when we were a few episodes back?
1: Thinking that he would, like, join the new Founding Fathers, I think I'm glad that that was unfounded, though I do have points where he was sympathetic, and we'll get a little bit into that, um, since we dive into his history with Joe, um, so before we get into that, just, like, a quick snapshot our buddy cop comedy is so cool. Huh?
0: I would watch that cop comedy.
1: Oh my God. I would not. I think I don't care.
0: Like, you don't want them to just go around searching for their sister, Miguel's sister <laughs> for eternity. <laughs> like
1: purgatory. I'm like, enough. But I, I have- would
0: watch the show called Where's Penelope. <laughs> she just keeps getting lost every episode.
1: I know. Like so, in
0: a shoebox or something. <laughs>
1: like, so I put like a fucking like, collar on her like with a radar or something because like this girl gets lost every five minutes so so we find out that joe has been following rick and jenna for weeks right and you get that exchange between jenna and rick where it's like it finally sinks in to to jenna that for sure rick is lying and like i was like oh girl like remember i was pulling for jenna and garbanzo to make it out of this so i um that, that's my original, like, if they make it out, I'll be fine. So it turns out Joe had interviewed with Rick for one of their, like, philanthropic construction projects, I don't even know what to call it, um, to do purge security, right? Um, probably setting up sand and security systems. And they meet at a bar, and they kind of bond over being underdogs and kind of being working-class dudes trying to make it in this world. And Rick tells him, he tells Joe, you know, send me quotes and then we'll get started. We'll sign shit and, um, let's have a beer. And then flash forward a little bit still in this memory. And we find out that like Joe and Rick disagreed on the final contracts. And Joe keeps saying that Rick screwed him over and Rick's like too smug. And he's like, no, like I didn't screw you over, man. That's how contracts work. Um, and it's a little bit on the fence. Like we don't actually know, At that moment in this episode, who is lying, right? Um, We just know that they disagree on payment. Um, Yeah. Also,
0: can we just get a quick shout out to the movies, Sand and Security?
1: I know. I know. I'm just saying if we actually do go full purge, which what? That's like five years away. You and I really need to buy some stand-in security. Stuff. No,
0: we do not. That stuff always fails, man. Hell That's no.
1: True. Every time we see a stand-in security system, it's like malfunctioning.
0: Also, no, like no, like that somebody either has the passcode or something's going wrong, or like your neighbors that have the pa- like they come and they find right, you and try to twist and stuff.
1: Joe knew the passcode to Rick and Jenna's house because he worked on it. Yeah, really problematic. So before this this whole thing continues of breaking down this memory, they flash us back to Miguel and Pete again, doing their shit, trying to get into this booby trap school. But one thing that is important is we see, for the first time since the first episode, that alarm of like, it's not an actual alarm, it's, it's prompting by the show. There are 35 minutes left in The Purge. So there is very little time for Joe to get the shit done. There's also very little time for Pete and Miguel to find Penelope. So, oh, and also, mo- moment of silence.
0: Jeez. Moment of silence.
1: Jane's actually dead.
0: <laughs> Jane is actually dead. I um, that thought
1: maybe not, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a classic trope in horror. Like, if you don't see, the, I mean, that's like the Halloween movies, like, verbatim. Like, if you don't see the body, don't believe Don't trust it. Ver- you literally need to see the body die. Right, right. So, yes, Marcy, I was so happy because I was like, wow, it's getting really light out. Like, oh. Right.
1: Like, I was like, daylight savings, man. <laughs>
0: daylight savings is a real thing and so there are 35 minutes left in this purge and um we're flat we're back to joe what about joe or what i want to call what was sarah palin's thing like plumber joe what was that like yeah. white american like trope that she coined <sighs> yeah like joe the plumber joe the plumber oh my god yeah that's exactly it like that's what i kept thinking about and so joe the plumber this man who's been so wrong his whole life um he's going through contracts and penelope is trying to free herself so we start seeing the penelope that kind of has been foreshadowed i think since she really left with miguel that she's gonna get She's going to get her bitch back, basically. And so she starts to free herself. She starts working on a plan to do so. And Miguel and Pete are still looking. They need to get one of those tile apps like we talked about and put them on (laughs) Penelope. Like just attach it to her and like go with it. So, um, what we really do start to see though here is the downfall of Rick. And I say downfall not only in that tight T he wears, but um the downfall I'm never gonna get over that t shirt. Um I know but the, but the downfall of Rick starting to finally admit his wrongs as well. Just how he was complicit um in what he did to Joe and he took advantage of a loophole in the contract Joe is holding a gun right to their head and he finally says you're right I did it I have to admit where I was wrong this is where Rick's redemption really comes in he realizes such
1: a coward in this moment before his redemption comes in because I think he's like remind me tell me if I'm wrong but he's kind of like uh that's how contracts work man they screw all of us over and it's like nah dude like take responsibility for the fact that you screwed over a working class dude who might not have been able to read all 85 pages of your contract. You knew what you did. Right. But he, he still kind of blames Joe for it and it's not a great look. And I think he finally realizes that it's not a good look and he shuts up. Right.
0: Yeah. He definitely shuts up. I mean, he tells, you know, and I think Jenna sees that too. You know, he keeps telling Benny that he loves her and he's really trying to make up for the sheer fact that, wow, he's the reason they're here um joe blames both of them but i think joe at the end of the day blames rick more
1: yeah yeah
0: so joe keeps telling jenna he's going to give her a choice um and this is where you start to come in and you're like oh boy um so if jenna purges rick um she and the baby can live and Um, you really kind of see this like, oh, okay, we're going to like Russian roulette this whole thing. Okay. So um, at the end of the day, what's a very tense moment, Jenna actually can't bring herself to do it. And Rick is screaming at her saying to do it, save the baby, save the baby. So she grabs the gun and she begins to monologue. And They talk about blame. They talk about a lot of blame here. And I think that's been a key point to the relationship. Who's at fault? Why are they at this NFFA party? Who are they anymore? Okay, they left. But then Lila, who is at fault for the relationship with Lila falling apart? And was it Lila all along? And she and Rick finally, I think, come to an understanding that you know, no one's getting out of here. But, you know, if Jenna has any hope with baby Garbanzo, she actually has to make the decision. And Rick tells her to shoot. And in a moment of, like, really quick, you know, a really quick scene, she goes to shoot and she realizes there is no bullet. And it was a total trick um, on Joe's part.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um...
0: Which is, like, I was, like, totally, like, why, why, she has a gun, just, like, shoot crazy pants joe and i i mean i figured there was no bullet in that gun and joe mocks jenna and rick because he like forced them to have like this conversation they probably never would have had unless like jenna was being told to kill rick but you know um it was very it was it was a great scene it was really powerful acting on um colin the actor and hannah's part so kudos
1: and I will say, like, I complained a little bit in the last episode. There was some of it in this episode, too. I think there were a ton of ways to take down Joe. Um, but I understand that that's actually not the point of the story. Um, I did not know if the gun was, was loaded. So there was a part of me that was like, why are you not shooting at Joe? Um, but I'm, I've never been pregnant Lord, never let me be pregnant. But, <laughs> like, if I was pregnant, I'm not sure how I would react in that situation. So,
0: Marcy, sure. I thought you and I were going to have a baby and raise it with Brent and then run for governor of California, and be Rick DeSantis's worst nightmare.
1: Sean, you know that I'm going to be your first lady, that's and true. that's that. And we'll have tons of Pomeranians.
0: <laughs> I'm okay with that.
1: Sounds like a great plan. (laughs) So
0: So, what happens after this?
1: Yeah. So Penelope's managed to kind of free herself in this cage. um, And she takes the other cager woman hostage. And it's interesting because Penelope, I think for the first time ever, realizes that she cannot win based off of her own understanding of like safety so she's going to try to appeal to joe by the only thing he knows how or she knows how which is to relate to him on the purge so she's got this like bolt up to the neck of this cager lady and she claims that it's her right to purge her and it is like it's like joe doesn't claim has no claim to her that penelope does not everyone has a claim to everyone on purge night right and but Joe is furious. He's like, that's my kill. Like the fuck? Like what are you doing? And then we hear. That's my
0: like, hot pocket.
1: That's my. Ho- <laughs> it is my hot pocket.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just compared a human life to a hot pocket. I just realized <laughs> so, what I did, but whatever. Okay, hot pockets are great.
1: conservatives think we think of life anyway. Like, so. Um, I
0: mean, honestly.
1: Uh, (laughs) so they hear the booby traps go off and they totally freak out and um it's enough to distract joe who's come up to penelope and like not my not your kill like whatever and the girl digs the screw straight up into his eye and i wish you all could see the outline that john and i used to to do these podcasts because (laughs) i have a ton of questions written in here on like why is it not bleeding why is his brain not coming out through the hole
0: exactly
1: like it was like again asking me to suspend belief that anyone could keep going like it is no fucking deal when you have a seven inch fucking screw in your eye come on purge people like I understand that you wanted a really great special effects moment, but you cannot suspend belief so far. Like, no, dude, no. Because he just, like, kind of graciously pulls the screw out of his eye. and
0: Ooh, his eye. gross.
1: Yeah, and it's not bleeding anymore. And I'm like, no, dude.
0: I also kind of want to be like, how deep is Joe's eye hole?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I, like, I made a joke to a friend. I was like, I'm sorry, I can barely walk around with cramps. And for all the men listening, cramps fucking hurt, man. But that's not a screw in my eyeball. And I can barely sure. get outside. So it's just, this was really laughable to me. Um, but then, I would have kept
0: stabbing Joe, too, with that screw. Like, I don't understand. I mean, yeah, she put it, like, right through his eye. But, like, I'm like, girl, take,
1: have, it, is, take him out. Right? This might make me a monster. But, like, maybe stab his eye, take it out, stab his neck. Like, maybe finish the job, Penelope. <laughs>
0: Um, can we just talk about like the like biblical aspect here for a second, like eye for an eye? Shit, Did you God, think that?
1: No, I I'm... look at your religious studies coming through. You don't even like the Bible.
0: Thanks, Patrick Mason.
1: Holy shit. I don't think I've ever heard you make a biblical reference.
0: But like I that's I mean when I saw that I was like, wow, okay, so like what does this look like? Like eye for an eye, like kill for a kill. Like I think I don't know. I, I was, I mean, she could have totally stabbed him in the neck anywhere else. Like, but the writers and the people on the purge chose the eye. I don't know. I thought it was something
1: really unique. No, for sure. And nothing happens on these shows by accident. So that's, that actually softens my critique of this magical eyeball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have 13 minutes left in the 13 book. minutes? Uh Miguel and Pete have made it into this booby trap school, um, and they're try- Like everyone's just trying to avoid the explosions everywhere
0: because it's like a hell house.
1: Can we have a moment? I would just hide in a motherfucking closet. <laughs> like I wouldn't keep running. Everything's booby trapped. Find a closet and like stay still.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so they are just running around. And what happens is, is like, it's kind of like one of those like meets. Like, so um, Miguel and Joe finally meet. Our characters are all meeting here, run into Rick and Jenna. And it's kind of like almost a standoff, you know, Rick and Jenna are running out. Um, They ran, you know, after out of the auditorium and they realize Miguel puts the gun down. Miguel's not going to hurt them. He's like, we're not looking for you. And he asks, you know, where Penelope is. And they say she's still back there. And it's kind of almost a really quick scene, but these Carney people show up and they shoot, they have a huge shootout and uh, Rick shoots out, you know, everyone gets shot and they, you know, you see Rick get shot right in the stomach. And it's really symbolic of the fact that Rick ain't making it out of this high school.
1: Right. Well, This shootout happened messy. I feel like I'm being super critical.
0: No, that's what we're here for.
1: I thought it was super fucking messy. Like, this Carney shows up, and Rick, out of nowhere, like, he's been in war, which, okay, I get it. Like, it is really difficult to go through the purge night. But, like, maybe don't shoot, dude. Like, the guy was not shooting at them. Like, he just kind of shows up in his, like, Best Buy shirt, and, like, Rick's like, nope, shoots, and then it's done. And um, I feel like we invested a lot in Rick all season to lose him to a character we don't even know who, had, who was of no consequence. Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, I was annoyed and not just because Rick is a cutie that we all started to yeah. remember. Right but it was just kind of, it was messy. I was like, this is messy
0: yeah and so jenna and rick have a moment as he lays dying and rick and jenna say what all of us are thinking well you need to get the hell out of america first of all and he begs her to go on a cruise um but he talks about raising their daughter and as he passes away he wishes his daughter a kiss and that's the end of rick
1: yeah and that was really sweet like that was really sweet And all I could think of a lot throughout this entire kind of, like, season was I could hear, like, uh, childish Gambinos, like, this is America playing overarchingly over all of this, right? Um, But yeah, no, Rick's goodbye is is kind of the, like, a kiss of a promise, like, that you don't have to do this again. And I think, um, I'll be honest, like, with everything going on in the U.S. right now, like, uh, Colombian dual citizenship feels like a really good decision right? Because yeah. a backup plan is is not a bad thing to have, right? Um, I also wonder, like, how many people have, like, left the U.S. because of the purge, so... Uh, oh. Right. But so Pete grabs Jenna and is like, let's get the fuck out of here.
0: Let's go and let's also make a baby.
1: <laughs> Pete the Cop is really cute, actually. Uh, so Penelope's still running from Joe, and Joe manages to grab her. Um, and they're in this room with like a large like swimming pool. Um, I don't know what those rooms are called at gyms because <laughs> I don't go to the gym. So she is grabbed by Joe, dragged back in, and he tells her it's time for her trial. And she jokingly goes, "You know what? Thanks for holding the door, Joe." <laughs> I was like, "Thanks what? for holding
0: the jo- door, Joe." Also, so where'd funny. you get that creepy hairspray?
1: Right, I was like, "Ah, oh, this dude," and then okay, every immigrant feel me on this.
0: Okay, yeah. So this is Marcy. Take a take us home on this speech because, like, this is like the this is like the cultural critique. So bring us to take us to church. Yeah.
1: So Joe goes. So like, where are you from? And she's like, Staten Island. And he's like, Yeah, but where are your parents from? And, she's like, and
0: they're like, Staten Island.
1: Staten Island, like every immigrant every brown person uh this is a distinctly immigrant thing gets asked this all the time uh and progressively more and more the browner you are on the scale so i only get asked this really um latinos know i'm latina americans assume ever since i went platinum blonde that i'm one of them so it's when i speak spanish which is my first language i didn't speak english so i was uh, like five or six they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, yeah,
0: Marcy would scream at me in Spanish when she didn't want. Yeah, no, if I'm
1: speak. angry, it's my first language. But like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm from Pasadena. <laughs> and they're like, no, but where are you really from? Like,
0: like Pasadena.
1: No, seriously, Pasadena. I grew up in Valencia. <laughs> Left my heart in West Hollywood. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I will purposely be obtuse about this because, and I'll tell you why. I am very proud. That both my parents are Colombian, that I'm from Medellin, that I spent a significant time of my life. I'm very proud. Here's the thing no one asks John where he's from. I mean, they might because of his Wisconsin. Well, they
0: do, but they, and then, and then I go, Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> right. But like, and then white... they
0: go, where are your people from? I go, Norway. <laughs>
1: like white people don't get asked on a day-to-day basis, like, where are you from? Like, where are you really from? Like, because it's a very distinct othering, right? It's, it's implying that people who look like you are not the norm. And it's like, hey, white people, we're actually growing to be the norm, so maybe we could stop this question. But I love that they put pick this up with someone like Joe, who has internalized hatred and xenophobia, because every person watching can relate who has been through it of, like, Jesus Christ, I've had that conversation. About and
0: that. racism, as we saw from the Jane you know, flashbacks.
1: Right. They've done a very good job of, like, there's, like, everyone's fair game for Joe, right?
0: So can we every- just call Joe purge Donald Trump?
1: right i'm gonna wait out and see who this like rush limbaugh is but like joe is the guy who gets donald trump elected so
0: yeah exactly
1: he starts so joe starts spouting off rush limbaugh bobby sheridan and penelope finishes the sentence for him and she lets him know that like when they were in the cult she listened to him as well again moment of truth here I feel like this is very smart writing about how the theology of hate and theology in general start to mix. The fact that Penelope could finish Bobby Sheridan's words reminds me a lot of my time in really conservative Christianity, that like we would spout off like Bush and like like conservative thinkers, we would spout them off. Like they were the theologians of our time. And so the fact that Penelope's like, yeah, bro, I've got you. I've listened to all that shit. I'm just smarter now. Right. And I think that's so powerful. Like, but she says they do it as a, like the reason they listened to it was because it was apologetic. So they could get to know those people. But it also just kind of like, if you think about it, if you're listening to a guy who perpetually is like purging is great, purging brings sanctity, it's your right. If you are in the victim mentality, that fortifies your sacrificial um, perspective on your life. So someone like Penelope, it makes sense. She was listening to Bobby Sheridan, but Penelope tells him, I understand Bobby Sheridan. I understand you and I understand your America, but that's not my America. And I was like, bitch, drop the mic. Thank you. This is the moment I was waiting for with Penelope. I thought they struggled to develop Penelope. Jessica Garza does an amazing job with the the role, but I, this is the moment where we finally start getting some substance out of her mouth. Um, and she says, "I see the people who protect this country every single day, even if it's taken everything from them, right? Exactly. I see them picking each other up. I see them supporting each other, and then I see people like you hurting each other because." They've been manipulated. That is her laying a truth bomb that I think is really important, which is, look, you are culpable for everything you do, but let's take it one step further, that you're so pathetic. Not only are you culpable for all this horror, but it's not even in good faith. You've been manipulated like a punk. And then she that. Dropped- Right. Right. Which I think like, I think a lot of like Trump voters who are like convinced that this is all for their good. Right. And it's like, yo, your taxes are going up. Like your, your profits are going down. Like, um, farmer, like I think, sorry, like it just jumbles in my mind. Like all the people who are, are in support of these conservative policies, these xenophobic policies without realizing it's hurting them and that they're being manipulated. It's like a double stupid. Like, you're, the policies you believe in are stupid, and then you're so stupid that you let yourself be convinced of things that are not true and to act on them for people who won't act on them because they know they shouldn't. So, exactly. the final nugget that Penelope drops is if the purge actually worked, why would we still be purging? And I was exactly. like, my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bring it, bring it, Penelope.
1: Boom. And, and then boom. They get a walks in and shoots Joe. <laughs>
0: He definitely walks in and suits Joe. Um, and and uh, saved by the bullet. Ugh, nothing. It's like that horrible, you know, nothing stops a bad guy with a gun but a good guy with a gun. And I was like rolling my eyes because that's what I thought because I'm so triggered by all the horrific gun violence we have. And But lo and behold, uh, Joe is alive and then he starts attacking both Miguel and Penelope. So it really starts to become a fist fight and As the fight between the both of them is occurring, the sirens go off, meaning purge night is officially over. So Joe, like all good white men, is furious because he thought he would have the chance to wake up with a clean slate. I mean, remember, he really only got two kills, basically, or several. He got Jane, he got the bully in high school, that one girl left and ran out and killed herself. But he didn't get anyone else. So here he's left thinking that this this type of dismay, just like what we saw with Allison's character after she purged, she doesn't have. Um nothing went went right for him, just like his life. And he acts then, which is totally sociopathic to me, like like everything's normal. And he like tells Miguel and Penelope, like, Okay, go on, like have a great day. Like here's a Denny's coupon, like enjoy your free breakfast, like, you know, and that he'll find them next year. And like that to me was like oh shit like that's terrifying like that reminds, tell
1: me if this reminded you um so for for me it's like the folks who who are like in your family or in the <sighs> people who vote against your interests go throw that vote down and then they're like but love you and i was like yeah. no, no 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 you don't get to do that <laughs>
0: you don't get to do that. You don't get to do any of that. You are responsible for your actions. And if your actions were for a fascist president or for literally murdering people on purge night and participating in it, you don't get to go like deuces, like see you next year. And Miguel realizes that him and Penelope are never going to be safe. And even though purge night's over, purge night's never over. The Purge exists twenty four seven. Murder may be legal um, on this one night, but let's be real. Um It's always legal for people like Joe to murder people of color, people that are beneath him or that he sees as beneath them and get away with it. That's what we saw with all of the horrific cop shootings against um, communities of color, brown brown and black boys and, and girls. I mean, this type of racist, systematic oppression is exactly what occurs outside of this purge night. And I'm using the purge universe as an example, but really a segue to our own culture. And Miguel realizes this and he shoots Joe in like the chest and then the knee, and Joe looks at him like I can't believe you're breaking the law. Like I can't believe you're doing this. And then he um, he goes, "You're a murderer." And then Joe, <laughs> <you know, Sorry. laughs> I know, I know. And then oh and then and then Miguel kicks him into the pool and drown. And then Joe drowns. Joe is dead. Goodbye, Joe. <laughs> it's
1: like everyone calling for civility after they've totally supported putting children in cages like shooting children at parks i like shooting dads on the street for selling a cigarette but you have the audacity to ask for civility like
0: can't we just all get along no we can't assholes children are in cages like you literally just put me and everyone i know in a cage and you we don't get to get along like you are now the enemy yeah. And so then we go back to Rush. So Purge Night's over. Joe is gone. So we need to um, quickly go through um, the ways in which. So we have Jenna, uh, Pete the Cop, Penelope, and Miguel all walking out of, and Allison, because I'm going to still choose that she's alive. But she's not one of our main characters. But we have the four people watching the sunrise and we see Joe walk out and you know Miguel's kind of got this whole cuz you know you, you, I'm sorry we see Pete you know meet Joe uh meet oh sorry <laughs> there's so there's many characters, a characters. there's in. a lot to take in so Miguel walks up to Pete the cop and Pete the cop goes oh I heard gunshots right before the sirens went off meaning Pete and Miguel that buddy cop drama definitely is getting a season 2 so um you see them kind of look into the sunset and we get flashed to the Rush Limbaugh of the Purge universe speaking. And we are flash forwarded a year into the future um, right. with about like what 15 or t- a couple minutes left to go.
1: Yeah, I think we have like, like five or seven minutes left to go. Um, and we see a couple of things. So I'll actually separate them by folks. We see Penelope and Miguel, they walk into Pete's bar and you can tell that like Pete has kind of become part of Penelope and Miguel's family, which I think is so sweet. Um, I think that that is good. And I think it speaks to so many of us in the resistance who have lost people that we love, or we've have to, had to distance ourselves from people that we love that like the most beautiful thing we get to do in this life, uh, after we're born is choose the people that we bring into our circle. So the fact that they're there and like, they all get whiskeys and like Pete and, and Miguel kind of give Penelope a hard time about getting whiskeys, which she's I she's not
0: good in whiskey.
1: Well, I just realized she's she's well over twenty one. Like the show makes it because she reads so young, it's easy to forget she's actually an adult. Um, and then Miguel and Penelope tell Pete, you know, we're we're still going out tonight. We're not going to stay in the in the. Um, in the bar and something I thought actually, it made a lot of sense and I kind of saw it coming, but it was sweet. Penelope and Miguel are heading out on Purge night to do first aid in an ambulance, um, which I think is great. Um,
0: Which is also a shout out to the movies. As you saw, like the resistance takes part in those ways. So Miguel and Penelope are really now part of the official resistance to the Purge. I'll tell you
1: what, John, if we were in the Purge, I would buy us an ambulance to keep us safe. (laughs) Okay. So, and then um, in what I think is a perfect finale for season one of The Purge, we see Jenna in my favorite city in the whole world where my grandpa was born in Paris.
0: Old Paris.
1: We oui, old Paris. Uh, she's raising her daughter. Uh, we know this because we see a shot of Notre Dame and she's in this like super bohemian little apartment. And I'm like, girl, I, I would go through The Purge to get that apartment. And she's like, there's no Rick. For a hot second, I thought we might see Rick, and he didn't die. Um, but then the show ends with kind of like this turning of the camera to like the equivalent of like the BBC News or something, saying that the EU is now considering voting on the purge. And then cue sirens and set up for season two. <laughs> Which...
0: So, Marcy, that's the end of season one of The Purge. you
1: made it, everyone!
0: <laughs> you made it. You literally made it through like an entire us. Purge like, night.
1: like us. That's like 10 hours of listening to us.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that, technically.
1: We love you back, y'all.
0: Um, so, Marcy, give me some of, like, your quick takeaways.
1: Yeah, how about, like, we do, like, a five-point takeaway? Let's do it. Y'all. My first takeaway is I should live in Paris, period. Yep. (laughs) My second takeaway is that toxic masculinity, toxic white male masculinity, is something that is no longer a fringe discussion when a show on USA based in horror is not afraid to talk about it, and I find that extremely encouraging. Because I I can tell you, I didn't think that would happen five years ago. Uh, Two, I should have purged my bad dates. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) because that was an underlying theme this whole season. Um, Three, every single person who has been in a toxic mental space, whether it be a cult, whether it be self pity, whether it be white supremacy, um, there are ways out. And I think. That is life-giving in a world where it seems very binary right now. We are either good or bad, conservative or Democrat, male, female, white, black. And it's like, yo, like, if you are in a bad space where you are harming yourself or others, where you have become toxic, it does not have to be that way forever. And Penelope is a good example of that. Like, Penelope was in a very bad spot. And by the end, she's reborn. And uh, I think that was...
0: Like a phoenix from the ashes.
1: Like a phoenix from the ashes, which I think is really, really great. Um, And my number one takeaway from season one of The Purge is no matter what your situation, it is always of value and necessary to resist authoritarian regimes and stuff
0: and stop. Marcy, those are amazing takeaways.
1: Yeah. Well, mostly because I would never purge you over a bad date because you're a great date.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So my five takeaways, definitely number five being um, toxic masculinity is slowly destroying this country. Um, As you listen through all of our episodes from the Brett Kavanaugh to the Jeff Sessions, to our riffs on Trump, to today's talks about DeSantis, and Voldemort, governor of Florida, Rick Scott, you see the ways in which these individuals who are in positions of power and have influence over other people like them, not of the same social or economic status, um, are actually harming the country and the world. So that's number five. So fight against your own identity construction as a man, as a white woman, Um, Which leads me to my number four part is that women are just as complicit in um, systemic patriarchy. And we saw that with the midterm results with how they voted for Ted Cruz, for DeSantis, for all these other, you know, asshats who are still in there. in office representing us that women themselves are upholding these systemic forms of oppression that's not new to a lot of you who are in the fight but something that i think we saw in the purge universe um as well um number three rick has an amazing t-shirt that I love on his body. Um, number two, Allison literally deserves a spinoff show. Um, but I say that in the ways in which I really loved kind of the exploration of um, the economic status. Uh, conversation and the rising up through these trenches that was Jane's character. And I really want to give a shout out to Jane as one of my main takeaways that we see this type of conversation happening all across the board and the ways in which they weaved in the Me Too and Time's Up conversation with the Matron Saints was beautiful. So really kudos to how they talked about women taking back their own power from these men that continually and constantly abuse them and i think my number one is the same thing as you marcy like we when we started the show um and the first season of the pop culture theologians it it was never just going to be about the purge that was a show we chose for the first season but no matter What you do, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, you have the chance to get up off of your couch, your chair, your wherever you are, and fight back against tyranny, against oppression, and resist. We need your vote. We need you to be out there at marches. We need you to call your congressman every morning on your way to work to let them know that you are displeased with how they are voting. It's time to take our country back. We're slowly doing it. We've got a long two years left to go until 2020, but we're going to do it and just like with the purge universe we can get through this together um to the point where we don't need it anymore so those are my takeaways
1: those are great takeaways i don't know if y'all can hear that little jingling in the back of john but that's my dog daughter
0: that is winnie and she (laughs) jingles and we usually take her collar off of her but i just want to riff for one second marcy can i do that oh yeah Okay, so um, listeners, last night I was at Trader Joe's, and um, there was a little dog that was outside um, the the Trader Joe's store. And I was like, oh, okay, it's not uncommon, even though I hate it. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves for people to leave their animals outside the store. I get it. You can't bring them in. It's whatever. But um, I noticed that this little dog didn't have a leash or anything on it. So I was like, oh my God, this dog is lost. So I quickly go to find a manager and go to the man and and no manager is coming up. They can't, like no one is helping me. And this little dog is out there. And I say this because I could have gone if I knew that Trader Joe's was not going to give me any help whatsoever. The Trader Joe's on Sunset and Crescent Heights, Marcy knows exactly where that is. Um, if they weren't going to help me make an announcement to let some ass hat in the store know that their dog is out there and it looks terrified. And by the time I got back to find the dog was gone. Cause I was going to go like help the dog. Cause it didn't have a collar. It didn't have a leash and be like, put up signs, take it home and figure out like how we could get it to, cause it was like a, you know, pretty dog. So I, it definitely wasn't a stray, it definitely ran away. And so I just want to say, we have not had Winnie on a collar in the house because she jingles as you can all hear, but I've been keeping it on her now because my like the threat or like feeling that she would ever get lost terrifies me. And God forbid she goes anywhere near that Trader Joe's because they are helpless and they're worthless people. (laughs) Who would not help a dog? So I just want
1: to I love, I love Winnie. I love all dogs. And clearly, even while recording a podcast, I can't stop and not say hi to a dog. Exactly. So let's start closing this up by (laughs) going through what's up next for the pop culture theologians. I'm going to take you through the rest of the year, and then John is going to give you the big ta-da of what our season two show is. Ta-da. Ta-da. So how we want to kind of do this is you know, we want to follow a couple shows, um, like a year where we do beginning to end, first episode to end. Um, but we also want to drop series on smaller stuff, movies and stuff like that. So if you're looking at us on like iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher, you're going to start seeing a bit of a change. So it'll still be the exact same theme, but what you'll notice is the picture is different. So we will identify what series we are like following this week, based off of the images of the pop culture theologians. So, you're not going to see just a full straight thing of The Purge anymore. Um, so, coming up next week, uh, we will be dropping our first Harry Potter themed pop culture theologians episode we're going to break down fantastic beasts for you before the crimes of grindelwald drops next weekend and then we will break down the um, crimes of grindelwald for you Um, i hope you're excited since you guys know that john and i massively disagree on fantastic beasts Um, (laughs) so come prepared for some saltiness because we we're excited to cover it Um, we, we hope to actually delve further into the Potter universe, but that's the two that we will be doing coming up. After that, we're actually going to break down the Hunger Games because we've referred to it a lot this season with The Purge. So we will break down The Hunger Games. I think what we're going to do is assume most of y'all read the books, but if you didn't, we'll break down the films for you, which cover a lot, and drop nuggets from the books. So those are the major series coming up between now and the end of the year. And we're super excited. They're in our wheelhouse. Um, So join us. Super, super excited. And now, John, how about we let the listeners know what our next Full TV show series we will cover. What what will it be?
0: Should we let them discover it?
1: You know, no need to be witchy. You could just tell them.
0: I could, I don't need to be witchy anymore. So um, listeners, drum roll please. We are so excited after much deliberation to announce that season two of the purge. I'm sorry. <laughs> hold hold on. <laughs>
1: we're just in a purge mood season
0: Season two two (laughs) of the pop culture theologians will be will be about the show a discovery of witches
1: super psyched this show super psyched january um That gives you plenty of time to read the books.
0: By the way, so just a little bit about *A a Discovery of Witches*. Um, This show um, is a trilogy of books uh, that is now a television show. Um, It was on Sky. It was on Sky, which is a a show in um, uh, the UK and a network, and it is a drama, fantasy, and romance. And it stars, of course, the amazing Matthew Good who, if many of you know from The Good Wife, from Downton, from tons of shows, um, Teresa Palmer, um, and Valerie Pettiford, and many more. So it stars, um, a quick synopsis of it for you is, Diana Bishop, um, a historian and witch, accesses the Ashmole 782 and knows she must solve its mysteries. She is offered help by the ignatic Matthew Claremont, but he's a vampire, and witches should never trust vampires. So you can already understand the sassiness that we are going to bring to the show. But honestly, though, the book series is incredible. And so, because the show started in the UK, we can already watch some of the episodes. So we've got a lot to bring to you.
1: Right. And so Discovery of Witches, first off, let's, let's do the horror tie-in. Teresa Palmer is horror royalty, uh, I actually recently rewatched like, Lights Out by myself in my house and had <laughs> to sleep with the lights on, hugging both my dogs. But um, she's amazing uh, in the horror genre. She has a ton of films. And Discovery of Witches has this amazing thing where it's at an intersection of being, it is a dark show that has a lot of undercurrents of, like, that the fantasy tends to cover, right? So, Um, like witchcraft but also good and evil and how people react to good and evil Um, gender disparity a lot of things there but it does have a bit of a lightheartedness to it as well Um, but we think everyone listening to the to us covering the purge this actually works really well in conjunction with it so we're super excited
0: we are so excited so that show Um, in season two of the pop culture theologians will officially drop in January 2019 but as Marcy said you have some amazing little nuggets that are going to show up in your feeds from now until the end of the year and we've got a lot ahead of us I still can't believe we're through with our first season
1: yeah y'all thank you so much this has been this has been like a joy And I, like, I cannot wait to keep going. I can't wait to go full Potterhead on you next week. Um, Stay tuned.
0: Marcy, do you like Harry Potter?
1: What? Me? No. I'm just, stuck in a local world, dude.
0: Do you have a lot to say on the issue?
1: What? No. 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 No, honestly, guys, like, the level of obsession I have is, like, unhealthy. But... I'm glad to share
0: it with you. So we just want to do our quick shout outs to um, Sean Augustine, who is the lead singer for the band Glass Battles, who edits all the podcasts. Um, Definitely go and check them out. Glass Battles um, on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for literally dealing with Marcy and I and editing and making sure our, the podcast sounds amazing
1: I mean like Sean took us from that first episode where I sounded like I was a smurf in a jar <laughs> today so massive thank you and also y'all his music is just so good like it is so it,
0: actually, it is it's it really good
1: good it makes it feels like home it feels like Los Angeles
0: it does and thank you to marcy for doing our outlines every week i don't know what we would do without you marcy
1: i mean if i didn't outline i'd have to write my dissertation so. that's true <laughs> for
0: sure. well everyone you've made it through and just like with the last time happy purging
1: happy purging everyone
0: see you in season two